Welcome to the Healthy Seas Podcast, a show about what we need to do to have just that, healthy seas and a healthy future. I'm your host, Crystal DiMicelli, and in each episode, we talk about the problems facing the seas and oceans and the solutions we have to fix them. Come on in, the water's fine. Hello, wonderful listeners. Welcome to the Healthy Seas Podcast. Today's episode is truly special as we take a double dive into the remarkable journey of healthy seas. We're not only going to reflect on the highs and achievements of 2023, but also celebrate a significant milestone, their 10-year anniversary. With me for this special episode is the Healthy Seas Director, Veronica Mikos, and a key partner and pivotal figure in their journey, Chief Communication Officer Maria Giovanna Sandrini from Aquafil. They're here to share insights, stories, and reflections on this incredible journey that started a decade ago. So buckle up for a nostalgic yet forward-looking episode as we discuss the year that was and celebrate the wonderful journey that brought them to this moment. Without further ado, let's dive into the accomplishments of 2023 and the grand celebration of their 10-year anniversary. Hi, Veronica and Maria Giovanna. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us here. For those who are not familiar with your relationship, what is the connection between Healthy Seas, which is a marine conservation organization, and Aquafil, a synthetic fiber producer? I think this is a very special combination, I'd say, for two different organizations. One is business and the other one is a not-for-profit organization. Because, you know, this relationship developed not because of uh, charity reasons uh, or because of uh, philanthropic reasons, uh, but very connected to the business. Uh, because uh, LTCs retrieve uh, some marine waste uh, and uh, this kind of marine waste uh, is used uh, by Aquafil as raw material for some uh, of its products. Don't know, Veronica, if maybe you want to add something else? The only thing we had 10 years ago was a great idea and the blank page. The question was how to connect marine protection to circular economy. And we had a couple of partners who were doing uh, great things on their own. In the framework of healthy seas, this was like pieces of puzzle coming together. So we further inspire and strengthen each other. If we look at it strictly, healthy seas is the connector. So all the partners separately from each other are doing great things, but Healthy Seas is the bridge between them, bringing marine protection to circular economy. What do you remember most from the founding of the partnership 10 years ago? What fascinated me about Healthy Seas, and still does, that it has a clear storyline, easily understandable both for children and adults, and concrete activities. I used to work for nature conservation for many years, and that can be often quite abstract. And this is the first time I could explain to my friends and family what I'm doing in a way that they also understand it. So for me, Healthy Seas was really inspiring and tangible activity. Do you have anything to add to that, Maria? 
So after 10 years, I think that uh, a lot of things happened and we were able to develop a very strong organization. I mean, the ones that is today, this is. But that day, it was just five people with great ideas and nothing else. And you've come so far since then. How has the topic of sustainability changed in these last 10 years in the public discourse and in the business environment? I think that in the last 10 years, things changed a lot. Today, a lot more companies are committed to become more sustainable, or at least to start a journey towards sustainability. Another important aspect that changed a lot, and for the best as I can see it, is the relationships and cooperations among companies. The concept of uh, what is waste for you could be a resource for me is quite normal lately, which is, by the way, the principle by which the LTCs Foundation was designed 10 years ago. Of course, they are not the ones producing the waste, but they are the ones who retrieve, sort, and clean it and find a different stream for each kind of material. The other side of the coin is that in the last 10 years grew a lot the collaboration with designers to develop born circular design products that don't become end-of-life items. Instead, they become the end-of-current-usage loop. So eco-design is playing a pivotal role in the circular economy business model. Are you able to illustrate for me how Healthy Seas their work fits into the circular economy. Can you tell me the steps that Healthy Seas is a part of? I think that the good job that people inside the LTCs Foundation is doing is that they collect waste, waste such as fishing nets predominantly, and those fishing nets are really sorted and clean to be shipped to aquafield. And aquafil recycle this material together with other nylon waste through a chemical process that allowed this waste to become raw material once again. With no differences if compared to the raw material that we generally buy. And raw material being... The raw material is a derivative of oil that becomes afterwards nylon, so fibers. And those fibers uh, are used by our customers and brands uh, to produce products, their own products, uh, such as uh, carpets uh, or swimwear or backpack uh, or eyewear, whatever. And uh, those brands, uh, at the end of the day, reconnect with LTCs. So they are also part of the LTCs uh, as members. In this way, we can close the loop. I love the idea of a circular economy because that means we're eliminating waste. Something can have a second life and ideally over and over and over again, which is huge for sustainability and for our future. Do you have anything to add, Veronica? So what has changed or improved in the last 10 years about the topic of coast nets and sustainability? When we started 10 years ago, we were one of the very few 
who were dealing with this topic. And nowadays, the term ghost nets and sustainability are pretty known, both in the for-profit and in the non-profit world. There are many, many organizations dealing with it. Ten years ago, we were kind of pioneers. So what we are really happy about is that awareness and public understanding grew significantly about this topic, also support from governments and policymakers. So we are very happy that we could contribute to this from our side. I have to say, you're right about that. I've seen the topic of ghost nets being talked about at global conferences now, and I recently bought a pair of shoes from a brand that's proudly proclaiming that the material is made from marine plastic. On the other hand, I must say by now there is also a lot of confusion. So both nonprofits and companies are dealing with this topic at different level and maybe this can be confusing to the public too because they hear this so much and they can't always uh, verify what is behind. So this could be a challenge, I, I would say, for the consumers, for customers of products when they are claimed uh, made of ocean waste, what does it exactly mean? So I think transparency and credibility are became more important than ever before. Hmm. You make a good point. I now want to look into that shoe brand a little bit more. And uh, there is also a phenomenon which we call racing for kilograms. Uh, we have a separate uh, podcast episode about it. Collecting amount of waste became a kind of competition between different environmental organizations, how much they can claim they collect, while we always kept measuring, of course, but uh, never said that the weight only is the ultimate measurement for success. Just wanted to add about what Veronica said that that transparency is key, is absolutely right. Uh, and this is the reason why at Aquafil, since the first beginning, uh, we allowed some visits uh, to people, uh, to journalists, uh, to other organizations uh, or to brands uh, to check what we are doing, that we are really dealing with waste. People... Uh, open their eyes and see really a mountain of waste. It's kind of a landfill with a roof. So this is transparency and that this kind of waste, it was destined to the landfill or to incineration, but we are using it. This year marked your 10-year anniversary. How does that feel? This is a very emotional question because, you know, the celebration happened in the same exact place of the lunch in 2013, so Croatia and Slovenia. Of course, uh, some new faces were present, but I also met again some people or former colleagues uh, with whom we started the journey. But let me say something that didn't change from 2013 and that made me really happy was to feel the same enthusiasm and willingness of all participants to do the right thing for the future of our planet and for our children. And I do believe this is the reason they are all part of the foundation and want to celebrate together with us all the results we achieved in 10 years. So, frankly speaking, when we started 10 years ago, with a blank page and a lot of enthusiasm, like Maria Giovanna said, we didn't know if health disease is going to exist for a year or two or maybe longer. So celebrating our 10-year anniversary was really an emotional moment. And basically the first time that 
many of our team members, volunteers, partners, supporters from all over the world met first time in person because we've been already working together for many years but some of them based in New Zealand some of them based in Los Angeles and this was really the first time that we could bring together key people it was like one big family the health disease family coming together during our 10-year anniversary celebration how does reaching this milestone impact your vision and mission for the organization Health issues evolved a lot in the last 10 years, and we always aimed year after year to come up with new innovative activities, different scale, different countries. So the only thing I can promise to our team and followers that we will continue doing that. And now with even more confidence that we became 10 years old and keep building on the old meaning keeping our core activities, uh, values, and approach as it's always been, with freedom, with bottom-up approach, basically keeping our identity. And then we will be able to continue to do a lot of fantastic things. Now, not only did you celebrate your anniversary this year, there were other key highlights that occurred. Can you share some? Yes, 2023 was a milestone year for us, bringing together partners, volunteers, friends, supporters into a big celebration throughout the year. The highlight event was in Slovenia and Croatia in a three days program where we followed the different steps of our activities. So it was a really uplifting moment with lots of positive energy because we work globally now after 10 years. We don't meet that often with our partners, uh, friends and supporters. So um, in terms of the highlights of the year, we consolidated our presence in the new continents where we expanded last year, such as US and Asia, with further diving educational public awareness raising activities. We also were involved in various innovative projects, for example, uh, Lake Ohrid, We did the first uh, lake cleanup, which is a UNESCO uh, World Heritage Site, both from a culture and natural point of view, which is very, very rare combination. And um, we were engaged with the local community, uh, local stakeholders, and we really um, made a start there, which we hope to continue uh, in 2024 as well. Another big, interesting and innovative element was that we linked up in a form of a sustainability day organized by our partner Hyundai with the Technical University of Munich, developing robotics technology, both in air, land and sea, and seeing how this can further help our work with cleanups and surveys in those areas where we are limited as humans. So we continue working on this element as well and see what the future brings. For me personally, one of the big surprise projects of the year, which we didn't plan and didn't expect, was the presence of a long range of film festivals with our home production video, because as, as some of you might know, 2021 and the Itaka Ghost Farm cleanup really marked a milestone in the history of health disease. And now in 2023 and four, it's still living because the video, the short documentary we prepared about this cleanup 
got so much attention that throughout the year we participated in many, many film festivals and got awards. One of the biggest ones was the Cannes International Film Festival, where we also won the best prize in the environmental category. So this was unexpected, unforeseen, and a very happy moment for us. Congratulations. Thank you. Let's turn our attention to what's next. What exciting plans does Healthy Seas have for the upcoming year? Um, maybe year or years. The only thing I can uh, promise that there will be a lot of big scale cleanup projects in it. And also from the educational point of view, uh, we are continue, continuously innovating and also looking for new solutions which can get the attention of children and the public, such as um, technology and interactive ways of being involved. I just want to wrap up with this final question. What advice would you give to individuals, businesses, or other organizations that want to contribute to the preservation of our oceans and combat marine pollution? My advice is very simple. Everyone can do something in their own life, in their own environment. Even things like picking up a plastic bag in the street, because you don't know if the plastic bag is ending up in the nearby stream or river from which it's, it's being uh, transferred to one of the seas or oceans. It can have a tremendous impact on marine life. For example, plastic bags are very much able to be mistaken as a jellyfish. So the, the turtles often mistake plastic bags with the jellyfish eat it. That's their favorite food. So if you, if you think like this, even the smallest little plastic item in the street uh, might have a terrible impact on marine life. And we share one planet. There are no boundaries, no boundaries of air pollution, also no boundaries of other kinds of pollution. So just what I would like to ask everyone and wish for everyone, just look around yourself in your own environment, in your own life. And with very small actions, you can actually uh, have a big positive impact. I couldn't agree more. Maria, do you have anything to add? Maybe for businesses or organizations, uh, you know, engage, uh, for example, in corporate social responsibility initiatives, uh, focus on marine conservation. This could be very helpful. Uh, or support research and innovation, as Veronica was saying a little bit earlier. So invest in or collaborate with research institutions and young startups working on innovative solutions for marine pollution. So there are so many fields where people and companies can engage in order to protect our seas and oceans. Thank you both so much for joining me today. This was a really great conversation. Congratulations on the incredible work that you have accomplished over the last 10 years. And I know that you will continue to accomplish over the next 10 plus years. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for diving into the Healthy Seas podcast with me. I'm your host, Crystal DiMicelli, and I was just chatting with Veronica Mikos of Healthy Seas and Maria Giovanna Sandrini of Aquafil. If you want to learn more about the work that Healthy Seas does, head on over to healthyseas.org or follow along on their adventures through social media. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and review it on your favorite podcasting app. I'll catch you next time. Healthy Seas is a nonprofit on a journey from waste to wear. Founded in 2013, the organization aims at reducing marine litter caused by lost fishing gear through cleanup, prevention, and education activities. The nets collected by Healthy Seas are subsequently reused and recycled and used by its partners for the creation of new products.